Let's turn in our Bibles to John 13. Uh, we will get to our reading, Lord willing, in Matthew 20 later. John 13. I've been looking at how to know God for many months in different sermons, and the last three have been about knowing God through serving God. And we've covered three, as I say, and this is the last one on this topic, not knowing God, but on the topic of serving him, to know him. You see, as we work and serve him, he works through us, and we get to know how he works even through us. And we get to know God and his power to serve in ministry. And I think this is one of the most important, I know I hear people say that one of the most important, this is the most important thing that we will learn in our life, found in John 13. This is one of the last things the Lord did with his disciples to teach them. But they're all tuned out. They weren't tuned in. And I think we need to learn it and learn it well because God does not work in our service until we learn this. He may in a minimal way. But he will, in a maximum way, work through us if we know how to serve. And that was in the, the, the thought was given also in Matthew 20, and we find it here in John 13. I know we've preached on this, we've mentioned it before. <clears throat> and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord expects his children, his disciples, to emulate his example as we read in verse 14 and 13 of that chapter of John. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Paul said the same in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Be ye followers of me, Paul said, even as I also am of Christ. I'm doing what he did. I'm his disciple. And so we need to learn this lesson on leadership. Who is qualified to lead? We, we get our examples from the world. We look at businesses. We look at people. We look at CEOs of companies. Say, so there, there's a man that can lead. <laughs> yep. In a bullying way. In a bombastic way in a way that is not biblical. Let's not take our, our references from the world, but let us take our principles from the word of God. Let's follow them and follow hard after them. Let us pray to start. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. And I pray as it prunes, as it hits home to our hearts, that we might apply the truth of it. That is wisdom. And Lord, I pray for a blessing upon each one and that would go away refreshed, blessed and able better to serve and minister for you as you're willing and able to work through us as we submit ourselves to you. And bless, Lord, the word that's preached not only here but in every place where the word is faithfully opened and proclaimed. May your Holy Spirit save souls and sanctify saints. And Lord, for our missionaries far away, Lord, today would be a day of blessing in their midst, in their services, with their people that you've given them. Lord, far away from family and friend and fellowship, but Lord, they're in fellowship with you, in fellowship with your people, and bless them 
wonderfully and mightily. We ask your blessing and need your blessing today in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so looking at first or the 13th chapter, firstly at John and then Matthew later. In verse 14, <clears throat> he said, ye ought, ye ought to do this, to wash one another's feet. I didn't see anyone doing that this morning. <laughs> this did, and maybe still is, a rite or a ceremony taken in a literal sense in some places. But neither the word example in verse 15 nor think these things in verse 17 fits the idea of an instituted ceremony of foot washing at the door of the church. To humble oneself in order to serve and to serve in order to save is what this exemplifies. Yes, we take the word of God literally, <clears throat> but taking it in the sense of the context as well. Jesus is teaching them example of the servant of God and what their attitude should be. Let's see how, how the Lord and what his attitude was and how he reacted with and taught his disciples. First of all, verse 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world, he was going to be crucified, and unto the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus loved his disciples. Look at three points here under that heading. Jesus loved Judas, who would betray him shortly. In chapter 13 and verse 26, we read, 13, 26, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I give the sop, a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. <clears throat> so Jesus gave the sop to Judas. This is said to be an expression of fervent love and genuine goodwill. He gave it to him first. And we, look, we read it and say, oh, it was to identify the betrayer. No, it was to say, I love you, Judas. I know what you're going to do, but I still love you. <laughs> he loved that one that would betray him. In Romans chapter 12, we won't turn there for sake of time, but in verse 17 to 21, it gives, some, gives us some instruction on our response to those that would betray us. The Bible says in verse 17, recompense no man evil for evil. In other words, not getting even. <laughs> Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 19, avenge not yourselves. The Lord could have taken vengeance on Judas, but he didn't. He loved him even unto the end, as verse 1 of chapter 13 tells us. And if we try to get revenge on someone, it reveals that we have a bad heart, a bitter heart, a heart that's not in tune with the Lord. In verse 20, if thine enemy hunger, this is Romans 12, if thine enemy hunger, what does it say? Feed him. You know the verses. If he thirsts, give him to drink. For in so doing, well, you've displayed a Christ-likeness. In verse 21 of Romans 12, Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what the Lord was doing here. As a true servant of Jehovah God. <laughs> he loved Judas, who would betray him. 
And it's, it's easy to love your friends, isn't it? They treat you right, I hope. <laughs> but to love your enemies, oh, that's a bit hard. <laughs> but it's biblical. Jesus loved us while we were all his enemies, before we even were born as his enemies. <laughs> he loved us, did he not? He gave his life. While we were yet sinners, he gave his life. Jesus loved Peter, who would deny him. In chapter 13 and verse 37 of John, we read, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. The Lord knew that was going to happen. He said it was going to happen. But did he still love Peter? He did. This is a true servant's heart toward those he ministers to. Jesus loved Peter who would deny him. Now we know that it all worked out for the better. But Peter went out and he, he took the other disciples as they fled. Well, he did hang around, didn't he? He was just in the vicinity. And, and the denials were because he hung around and people accused him. You're one of them. But remember, it's in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, when, the, when he denied him and the Lord looked. The Lord was in examina being examined by the Sanhedrin and the Lord looked and, he, and their eyes met, you know. <laughs> right, gotcha. <laughs> no, he didn't say The Lord didn't say that. But he looked and Peter looked and Peter knew straight away what he had done and he went out and he wept bitterly. And that wasn't sorted out until the Lord met with them one of the last meetings in John 20 where the Lord was on the seashore cooking that fish and they were out fishing and caught nothing all night. And uh, John, the Lord said, you know, cast the net on the other side, you'll catch, and they caught a heap of fish and John looked, it's the Lord. And Peter jumped out, <laughs> gird himself and jumped out and went to the Lord. And then the Lord sorted it out, that breaking up, that denial, he there... Three times, as Peter denied him three times, the Lord three times, lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Lovest thou And Paul, Paul, poor old Peter was getting frustrated. Lord, thou knowest that I love you. I know I denied you. I know I didn't do the right thing. But God, the Lord Jesus still loves us even when we go astray. Do you still love your children when they're disobedient? Of course you do. Do you love the disobedience? Of course you don't. <laughs> and you'll, you'll chastise them. And so does God. Ah, true servant of the Lord. <laughs> loved Judas, who betrayed him. Loved Peter, who denied him. And Jesus loved his disciples, who forsook him. In chapter 26 of the book of Matthew, and verse 31, and then verse 56. Matthew 26 and 31, we read this. Then said Jesus unto them, And ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I am risen, again I will go before you into Galilee. And verse 56 of the same chapter, we read there, But all this was done, that it, the scriptures might be, of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Now, when someone's forsake, forsake, you say, oh, give up on them too. But the Lord does not give up. The true servant of the Lord doesn't give up on people 
who may have done the wrong things by, by them or by you as a servant of the Lord, the disciples fled, fled for their lives. And they were, they were hiding in a room, trembling. You could probably hear the whole building shaking when they were trembling. Because when the Lord turned up in the midst of them, they were terrified. You know, what's going on? What's happening? And it took some visits of the Lord to them to calm them down and to make them realize that he had been raised from the dead. But Jesus loved his disciples who forsook him. You think of John Mark over in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that he went and then he, he took off when the going got tough on the missionary journey. He took off back home. He was from a rich home. And so it was pretty hard for him to, to put up with what the activities of missionaries and the, and the conditions. He went back home and Paul wouldn't take him on the second round and it split Barnabas and Paul apart. And, uh, <clears throat> but later, he got right, didn't he? Though he forsook the team, God still brought him back into the team to minister. God is able to do that. So the example of the Saviour's love is how us, a servant leader should be toward those that are under his care, that he shepherds and ministers to. We'll go to the next point, the example of the Saviour's life. The Lord's entire life is summed up in those verses we read a little bit earlier, John 13, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> Let's go back there and read them again so we don't forget them. Verse 14 and 15 of John 13. If I then, be your, then your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you his humbleness of life in verses 3 and 4 of that chapter Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God from uh, a sermon put together from glory to glory come from glory he went back to glory he knew who he was from he knew his deity he knew his duty and he knew his destiny he knew all that, the Lord Jesus did. Now, if you're the king, old Haman in the Old Testament thought, because he was blessed by the king, that everyone had to what? Bow before him. He expected that. But he wasn't really willing to give it when Mordecai was exalted by the king, was he? And had to bow and had to shout out, you know, bow before the man that I hate. But this is what kings expect people to bow before them and to do obedience before them. And that's not what the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, taught in his life. His humbleness of life, though he knew he was God, he knew his duty, his deity and his destiny he humbly served people. He rose from the supper, as it says in verse 4. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girt himself. This is one of the greatest lessons that we'll learn to be a good servant of the Lord is to take the towel and to minister. Philippians chapter 2 and the first six verses speak very clearly about that. Though... <laughs> 
Though he was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. The form of a servant. Let each esteem others better than themselves, as it says earlier in Philippians 2. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. At the, at, at the very time the Lord was laying aside his garments and was girding himself with the towel, you know what the disciples were thinking? This is the lesson we get here today. He was girt, he was serving, and it seems like the disciples had their mind somewhere else. Now, right now, what are you thinking? <laughs> no, no, before the Lord. What are you thinking? Are you thinking in tune with the word of God? Or are you wondering about what are you going to do tomorrow? What are we going to have for dinner? today what you see <clears throat> the disciples minds were wandering because we can tell that on the occasions that you read in Luke and I think it's Matthew yes Matthew the other one because immediately this wash foot washing had finished you know what happened can we sit on your right hand and left hand <laughs> that's the question they asked they weren't minded about what he was teaching them and the Lord knew that question was going to be asked and he was teaching them to be on my right hand and my left hand, you must take the towel of servanthood. You must humble yourself before the Lord. As I have humbled myself to serve you, you must be humble in attitude to serve me. The atmosphere and the attitude of the disciples was terrible, to say the least. With all that the Lord had done for them, the Lord had taught them, and they come to this vital point when he's teaching them a serious lesson, their mind's off with the fairies. Then no, no. Their mind's off about themselves. How they can exalt themselves. How they can get a position of authority. The Lord laid aside that to serve. And this act of the Lord Jesus eventually come home to Peter's heart. For 30 years later, he said this in 1 Peter 5.5. 5, Submit to one another and be clothed with humility. Literally be girt with the towel of humility is what Peter was saying. And 20 years later, we should have done that one first. 20 years later, Matthew 20, 11, 29. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Take the, Lord's, take the, the way the Lord does this upon you. His humbleness of life we need to take upon ourselves. His helpfulness in, of life in verse 5 of John 13. After that he poureth the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. <clears throat> when did you last do this? I dare say that some of us have never done this, literally. <laughs> but when did we last take the bowl and serve somebody else did something for someone without hoping for anything in return when did we last do that when did we emulate or copy the Lord Jesus in his example it's sort of a rebuke to us isn't it because most times we do things for the prospect of advantage of getting something in return Something of a reward from the person, where they pay or help you out. 
I remember very clearly some of the lessons. I don't know if it was in... <coughs> it was, I think it was Jim Burke. He, he said, no, it wasn't. It was in the classes at night, <laughs> one of the night classes years ago, where we were watching a video. And the, the lecturer said that when you meet another person, or when a person meets another person, the first thing they think of when they look in their eyes is, what can I get out of them? You start thinking about that when you meet another person. Is that what you think? Or is it what the Lord thought, what can I do for them? Totally different. What can I do for them? How can I minister to them? How can I reward them? Even and, and if you do something for someone that you know can't reward you or pay you, then that comes back to godly service, Christ-like service. Galatians 6.10 reads, As we therefore have opportunity, and then continues, Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I wonder if people are really Christians when they don't serve with the heart that God has, the Lord Jesus had on this occasion. Often we choose the places and the people we serve because they're our friends or because they can do something for us. Let's slay our selfishness and pride. And let's do what the Lord wants us to do. In the book of Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 it reads, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were, all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He went about serving, meeting other people's needs. The example of the Saviour's life, his humbleness of life, his helpfulness of life, and his holiness of life. In verse 8 of John 13, we read, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And to serve the Lord, we must have holiness of life, must we not? As exemplified by the Lord in this portion. And Peter said, You know, you're not going to wash me. <laughs> And the Lord said, well, if I don't wash you, you're not part of my service. Listen, folks, if we don't get right with the Lord on a daily basis, we can't be his servant. The Lord uses people that are walking in sanctification, in holiness, to serve him. And we used to sing a song, my cup's full and running over. You remember that? Yes. <laughs> and, and that was the thing, you know, my cup's full and running over, the action to the song. And full of the joy of the Lord, full of the presence of the Lord, holiness of life. Let's not go and try to instruct other people when we're not walking right ourselves. The message falls on deaf ears. They see how we are living and that speaks louder than what we're saying to them. Holiness of life. And yes, Peter had been washed holy. He had been sanctified and saved. But what the Lord was saying, you need to have a daily washing a daily confession to the lord a daily getting right or momentarily getting right with the lord we are saved and we never lose our salvation but we need to have the nipto that it's called here nip and have a wash in the when you do dirty your hands and your feet from walking in this world the holiness of life 
the example of the Saviour's leadership. So we've seen <coughs> the example of the Saviour's love, the example of the Saviour's life, and the example as a servant of the Saviour's leadership. This example is tightly linked with leadership as we read it. Uh, listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 23. We read, Feed the flock of God, he's talking to the leaders of the church, which is among you, taking the oversight of it, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, not for money, but for a ready, of a ready mind. Neither as being, you know the word, lords over God's heritage, but being then samples to the flock. <clears throat> the ability to serve. Back in John thirteen sixteen, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Jesus said, I'm, your, I'm Lord. You're not greater than me. And if I have done this, you need to do this too. The example of the Saviour's leadership. The ability to serve. And as we read there in Peter, the, the leaders of the church, Peter said, and Peter had this in mind, he knew the great example of the Lord Jesus. Not being lords over God's heritage. In our society today, leaders everywhere and almost ex exclusively in every place haven't got their position of leadership by this method. They've got their positions of leadership by going through a university or getting a degree and then flashing this around. But they haven't learnt to serve before they become leaders. How much better it is if uh, uh, even a secular leader has gotten their position of leadership because they have served people. How much better it is in, in the politic, political realm. <laughs> but this is what exemplified the Lord in his life. He ministered. He served. I come not to be served, but to serve. Particularly on this occasion. No one ever qualified as a true leader who has not first qualified as a true servant the ability to serve in verse 16 and the authority to serve <clears throat> and point a the ability to serve must come before point b the authority to send to send as you've got i think it's typed there in your bulletin point a must go before point b for if it doesn't you'll have all types of strife within the church and within an organization Non-servant leaders are everywhere. Now, <clears throat> there's a word that's used that we probably know of and heard of. It's been some years ago now, but Nike. You know what a Nike is? A shoe. Thank you. <laughs> it's, um, and it means victory. It means victory. Let's go to the book of Revelation. It's been pointed out before, but Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6. There is a doctrine here that the Lord talks about that pictures a person who hasn't learned to serve but wants to have the leadership. Hasn't learned to take the towel and the basin of water and wash other people's feet. Hasn't learned to minister to people not expecting a reward. And this is the people that are spoken of in Revelation chapter 2, first of all, and verse 6. 
we read, But this thou hast, he's talking to the church at Ephesus, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, Nike. <laughs> and this is, this means victory over the people. <laughs> Lording it over the people. Thou hatest the doctrines. What did God say about this teaching and this attitude in the life of people? He hates it. That's what he said. He hates it. Let's have that sort of attitude toward this sort of leadership around the traps today in churches, in independent Baptist churches, where they lord it over the people. Let's look at another one in Revelation chapter 2 again in verse 15, where he said, Thou hast also them, them there that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. This is in the church at Pergamos. And the Lord said, Which thing I hate? Which thing I hate? The Lord exemplified the other way. Be a servant. Be a leader. From your servanthood. But do not come in as a one that has victory over the people and lords it over the people, even as we read in 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. And it's also in verse 5 and 6. Timothy says likewise in 1 Timothy 3, 6, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And he's speaking of the leaders in the church, the elders in the church. In verse 7 in 1 Timothy 3, Moreover, he must have a good report of them who are without, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. It's a snare of the devil. It's the condemnation of the devil to try to lord it over God's people. There is one lord over God's people, and who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord wants to send amongst his church his servants that have a servant's heart that are willing to take the bowl and the towel. And let's not be those, as in Matthew 23, verse 5, whom the Lord condemned, they do things to be seen of men. It's all about pride. And what was the sin that caused the devil to fall? Pride. Verse 6 of 23 of Matthew, they love the uppermost seats at the feasts. In verse 7, they love to be called rabbi, rabbi, uh, and putting that in today's language, reverend, reverend, <laughs> I honour you. No, they're willing to serve. They're willing to minister. Verse 23, Matthew and verse 12, exalt yourself and you will be abased. <laughs> Humble yourself and you will be exalted. And Matthew 23 echoes Ezekiel 34 in the Old Testament where the Ezekiel was talking about leadership, about the shepherds of Israel, how they had ex exalted themselves over the people, got the position of authority, often not because of their, their attitude toward the Lord and servanthood, but because they were either relatives or they were in line for it or because they had a ticket. <laughs> because they had a ticket. When I hear people say that, that are in authority in the government. I've got a ticket. Have you got a ticket? <laughs> and I drive on the roads at these ticket people, and you drive on them too. They're all bumpy and rough. They've just fixed them up. The council. Have you got a ticket to do that? And I say, no. 
but I have 40 years of experience. That doesn't count. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> One day there's going to be a great sorting out, <laughs> and I look forward to that day. Now, I'm not against getting an education and getting a ticket, but have the heart of a servant when you minister to the people and how much better that would be. And the Lord said, well, we'll go to Matthew 20 to finish off today. Matthew 20, and this is the second part of that that you've got on your outline. And verse 22, where there was, we had our reading. Well, it starts at verse 20, down to verse 28. Dictatorship is not pastoral leadership. Nicolaitan leader is not servant leadership. But some of our churches are turning to this. It's Episcopal churches, you might say. They don't have congregational church polity, but are bishop, episcopos type of churches. Some read books on successful management skills and then implement those principles into the church. And you say, it's not just reason. I remember at the Box Hill Public Hall down there on, I've forgotten all the roads now, down in, down in Melbourne, we had... Say? White Horse Road. Yep, that's it. White Horse Road. <laughs> and <clears throat> we had an NBF. It was one of the real early ones where ABWE from Sydney and Baptist Missions from Victoria met together. It wasn't like the ones we have now. But they had one there and it was the, the place was full, packed out. But the, the leader, his, his, his initials were WWW. Don't ask me what that stands for, but that's what we called him, WWW. <laughs> And he said, I want to meet with all the leaders of the, of the people in present today afterward in the back room, okay? And so if, if there's any deacons or any pastors or leaders in churches or principals of the Bible college, just go in there. And then he started teaching on how to manage people. And he said, I don't want this to get out. I don't want this to be recorded. But what it was, was a secular management course being taught in amongst the pastors. I thought, some, <laughs> I, I, I picked, something's wrong. I was only a Bible college student. I was a deacon in the church, so that's why I was in there. I thought, something's wrong. And it wasn't what Matthew, it wasn't the way Matthew and the Lord taught that it should be. They were putting tickets on themselves and they were using worldly means to minister to the people of God. I, what Tony said in the class this morning, he mentioned about Solomon. He said Solomon's attitude was back in the book of Kings, I'm only a child. I'm only a servant. I need to know your wisdom. And we need to have that attitude that Solomon had. And look how God blessed and ministered through him. But there's the extravagant cost of servanthood that we need to consider. And this is in Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> what would you say if in the few months time when the pastor had uh, racked up a bill of about $80,000 and then said to all, you all 
for the next two weeks, you're to put in all your wages to pay the bill that I incurred for the church. How would you react? It's good. <laughs> See you later. It's not going your fat line. Yeah. I'll have to interpret that later. But all alone, Okay, right, thanks. You're all alone. You pay the bill. You incurred the bill. It has happened in an independent Baptist church in Australia, not in America. It has happened. And I wasn't told. I was told that firsthand by a person, a missionary that come to visit that had been from there. That's Nicolaitan leadership. That's wrong. And uh, you, you, don't, you don't do that. <laughs> Matthew 20 and these verses here. The extravagant cost of leadership. The three prices here the Lord gave to the disciples. If, if you want to be leader, this is it. <laughs> First, it cost a deep draught from the Saviour's very cup. Second, it cost a baptism that is deeper and longer and darker than any had known. A baptism of fire. Third, it cost a change of garments. Change from kingly garments to the servants' gar garments. The apron of humility. So there's a cup and a baptism there and an apron that we must put on. <clears throat> the cost of leadership, the extravagant cost of leadership. And anyone that has truly served in a church will say it has cost. If they've come to the end of their life or close to it to retirement, you have to give up your ambitions. You have to give up your aspirations for life that you might have, your dreams. You have to give up the authority and attainments that you think could have been yours. You have to give up fortune and fame and friends and family. As the scriptures say, if you look through the scriptures, your fleshly desires, and it cost. If you want to be a servant, consider the cost, the extravagant cost. The Lord Jesus said that to them. Are you able to be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? To sit on my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give anyway, but it shall be given to them of whom it is prepared of my Father. You see, God has positions and places prepared for the people that will be his servants correctly from the heart. <clears throat> Diakonos, doulos. <laughs> What does it mean? What do those words mean? Now, yeah, we translate them into deacon and servant. It's servanthood. It's taking on. It's a willingness to be taken by your master after you've finished your service and you could go out as a free man to be taken by your master and nailed to the doorpost with an awl through your ear and saying, I'm forever my master's. That's what the servant did there. That's a willingness, the extravagant cost. I always submit to you. Christ's ministry to us and, at us and service for us reached its highest point on the death, on his death on the cross, did it not? The cost of being a servant. All the apostles learnt this. You will be, the Lord said, you will be baptized with the fire and baptism I'm baptized with. What happened to all of the what happened to all of the disciples? They all died a martyr's death. And they were baptized with fire. That's where it ends for a true servant of the Lord. The examination of an aspiring leader should be what we find here in Matthew 20, 20 to 28. These sort of questions should be asked of those who want to serve in the church. 
Write out your thoughts on these Matthew and this section here. How these verses apply to men who desire to hold the place of leadership. Do you feel there's any task which is beneath you and your dignity? Now, when I was preparing this this week, this is what happened. It was 9 o'clock at night. Or was it 10 o'clock, Melanie? Oh, sorry. <laughs> she phoned me. If I just study this, she now knows. <laughs> and Juma's toilet had blocked up. <laughs> sorry, Juma. <laughs> I thought, oh, this time of the night, going and unblocking a toilet. <laughs> But we worked it out, didn't it? It all worked out the next day. Yeah. We weren't allowed to touch it. Neither Tim, the plumber of the estate agent and all that, had to come and do it. But, but my thought was, oh, okay, I'll do it if I have to, and there's no one else. That's why I phoned Tim. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he said, well, really, legally, it's the agent's problem. And it's fixed, isn't it? It's, it's working. <laughs> the, the next, a brand new one. There you go. But, you know, the Lord gives you an immediate example, and I've just been studying this. Yep, you're willing to do this. Do you feel there's a task in the church that's beneath your dignity? I think some people believe here that the cleaning of the church is below their dignity. Hey, folks, learn to serve. And uh, other questions that should be asked of aspiring leaders of the church. How do you feel about being a servant, a do-loss of people? The, we're just briefing through this. The emphasis of service in leadership. Jesus said so. Jesus said so. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He's told us in chapter 6, uh, was it chapter <laughs> 13 of John and chapter 20 of the book of Matthew. And you can go to the other Gospels and find it. Service to others is one of the courses we must pass in the school, school of humility. James 4, 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Lamentations 3, 27 and 28. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. And he sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He bears the yoke of his youth. He's willing to submit to service. I've heard of people that got apprenticeships and after a, a little bit they realise they have to work and they, they, they kick against it. And, uh, and you know, in our society today, bosses are hard to find young people that are willing to work. They're hard-pressed. They can't find apprentices. There's apprenticeships available, but people don't want to work. That's below my dignity. Well, who taught you about dignity? <laughs> Where did you pick that up? From, from uni or from school? Who taught you that you're a very important person? Hey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> we talk about self-esteem in the, in the schools. That's what they teach. That's below you. Ah, not in Christian circles. <laughs> Look at the Lord and his example to us. And how much better it is to hire a, a, a young person that's willing to work. There was one young fellow from the church. He's not here anymore, but he got a job. He got it in a trucking company. And he, the boss said, sweep the floor. And so he swept the floor. And the boss came back to him and said, sweep the floor. Again. <laughs> and he swept it. And they asked him a third time to sweep it, and he left. <laughs> 
But the boss was just seeing if he would work and be willing to take instruction. And if we're not, we're not going to be the servant of the Lord. It, it, it comes so quick and heavy upon you, you want to get out of there. Service is an early expression of love. Galatians 5.13 By love serve one another. The emphasis of service in leadership throughout the scriptures is everywhere. Are you willing to serve? The examples of servant leaders, and we just mentioned a few. The Lord Jesus, certainly, as we've seen even this morning there in John 13. Paul, was he willing to serve? He was the apostle to the Gentiles, given revelation directly from God to write in their Bibles we have today. All the epistles are written by Paul. But what was he willing to do? Stitch up tents at night time. That was his trade. He learned a trade. All Jewish men had to learn a trade before they could go into their life's work. And his was making tents, like a builder of houses. That's what they used, tents in those days, often to live in. He applied that, and he met the needs of others that served with him through that. He was willing to do that. Elijah, his reputation was to pour water on Elijah's hands. He learnt to serve before he got the mantle. Moses and David, what were they before they become the great and mighty leaders that they were? They were shepherds of sheep. And Moses was 40 years, well, he, he got the education, 40 years in Egypt. But then he had to learn the real education in the backside of the desert for 40 years, looking after sheep. Then he was qualified. Now you're able to go and get the people out of Egypt. David... The, the, the man after God's own heart. Why? Because he learnt to shepherd sheep. And he then was trained for service. And the pages of history, both sacred and secular, are filled with servant leaders who learnt to do it the right way. If we want to be leader amongst, in, in our own family, in, you know, with our children, with our grandchildren, if we want to be servant in a, in a fellowship, if we, in the firm... Learn to serve. You know, it's not groveling to the boss. It's not, no. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You're willing to submit to the people that are over you for the glory of God, and other people will look and say, as one, I remember, employee, uh, whatever, of uh, uh, back home. They, they, there was another young, uh, well, he wasn't a young fellow, he was middle-aged and he'd come and he's worked and he was so diligent on the job. And the other one that had been there for years said, well, a new broom sweeps clean. He was upset because he was, he was being put to shame by this new worker. Well, a new broom sweeps clean, he says. You know, after a while he won't. He won't clean the floor, he won't do it like that. He won't polish the bulldozer with wax or whatever in his spare time. And he kept doing it, and he kept doing it. And you know what? He ended up with his own bulldozer. <laughs> and we, we were willing to give him work too, because of his attitude. God can work through that sort of people. Servant leadership, humble leadership. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that's given in your word. It's real, it's true, it's, this is the way God works. And thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus, our Saviour taking the towel and the bowl and washing the feet 
As I've done to you, so ye do to others. Bless us as we go our way and learn to serve other people. Let us look for opportunities to minister to other people in a physical way. They might in turn ask us, what's this all about? And learn about the Saviour and offer them salvation. Lord, bless each one here today as we go out as your servants, as your examples, as your light in a dark world. May we minister for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.